This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to episode 63 of the Equalizer podcast. Chelsea Bush and Claire Watkins here to talk about all things Women's World Cup. Because it started, and it started with a bang. In Group A, France kicking off things in style with a 4-0 win over South Korea. Before Norway and Nigeria fought to a 3-0 win for Norway. No Hegerberg in sight, as we've heard so many times (laughs) by now. So Claire, start us off. Your thoughts on Group A. Group A is interesting because we had all right, two games, right, with very lopsided scores. Um, to me, I think that as of this moment, France is the clear front runner, as we kind of expected. Um, I think probably some people were surprised by the scoreline that they saw from Norway, especially as we've all said, they don't have um, their best player. But if you watch the two games, they were two very different games. Um France dominated South Korea on all sides of the ball. Um, whereas for Norway, uh, they the the attacking was good, um, but they were wide open, and it was just that Nigeria couldn't execute that that scoreline ended the way that it did. So I'm very interested to see what happens for France Norway in the next game. But um, to me. Though the goal differentials were similar, one team really stands out. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I didn't get to see all of the France-South Korea game because I was at work. But what surprised me from what I did see, first of all, I I think South Korea has better quality than that. I think they were just blown away. They looked scared. Yeah. But I just, France was playing very loose, very, very comfortable. And part of that is because South Korea was putting up no opposition. But it's good to see a side that not only is a home side and has that pressure, but a side that has tended to, to buckle under its own mental pressure. Yeah. At least starting off. You know, it's early days yet, but I was kind of glad to see them just pay, play very free-flowing. Yeah, they looked they looked good in the way that France looks good. I would say it was a lot of the similar properties that we've seen from them in the past. Um, but I think you're right. I think that they looked like they were having fun. I think they looked like they were energized by the crowd as opposed to um, put under pressure by them. Um, obviously there's going to be tighter moments as the tourney progresses, but, um, definitely all very positive vibes. I mean, we had what that, the goal that was called off the Mbakbati goal where, you know, the, even the center backs were getting up there and, and trying to take shots and they were possessing well in the midfield. 
they didn't score many goals in the run of play, and this has been a theme for the starting of, of many of the teams on the in the tournament. Um, which I don't think is I don't think that that is something for any of these teams to be concerned about at this moment. I think it's the first game of a very long tournament. I think that you know you don't want your best play to be now. Um, but you know, Wendy Renard got two goals off of set pieces. Um, the only real, you know, cracker of a shot was that Henri shot at the very end. Uh, but that was also very cool because I think, I personally think that she is the linchpin that's going to carry France through this. So the fact that all three, all three of the gold scorers, Les Samaire, Renard, and Henri had great games and were feeling good, especially after there was some question of whether Les Samaire, how she was feeling. She's been ha- dealing with some injury tweaks coming off of her club season. Uh, I think all of that's really positive for France. Yeah, I agree. I think for France, you know, the one caveat you also have to say is, are they going to make sure they peak at the right time? You know, it's great to be playing outstanding in your first game, but can you sustain that for a month's worth of games? And that, that's a hard thing to do. Um, So it's interesting about winding Renard, because I have to be honest, I kind of tend to think she's a little bit overrated. Ooh. Um, so here, let me out. I, and, and I think it's partly because she scores a lot of goals. And everybody loves a defender who scores goals. You know, right. I, I do too. If Becky Sauerbrunn scored half the goals that Wendy Renard scored, I'd, I'd lose my mind. That'd be 44 goals. That'd be so many goals. <laughs> That'd be so many. <laughs> but I, I think that, so I think that she gets a lot of praise. And it's deserved, but I think she gets a lot of praise for that. But I think as far as an actual defender that, the fact that she's like a foot taller than everybody else um, and the fact that her legs are so much longer, I think helps her. I don't actually think her positioning is what I would want to see from someone who's sometimes called the best in the world. Sauerbrunn, for example, I think has better positioning. I think Rachel Corsi honestly has better positioning yeah. and maybe I'm showing an NWSL bias here and, and I do see them more often, but I've always thought that about Renard. And I think that, that, a good team can she tends to be a little bit more aggressive I think, um, I think if she can she can you can get her to step out and then you can use speed to get behind her yeah I, there are definitely parts of that that I, I totally agree with I think that France's defense is stretchable um even at the very end of the South Korea match when they really had taken their foot off the gas um there were some flashes some moments so I am interested to see how it goes against Norway um I think yeah, I think it just goes back to it's great that France was feeling good. This was not a huge test for them. I don't think that we saw them have to change their game plan or excel in any way past what we've already seen from them. And the interesting thing actually will be, to me, whether they're going to have to. Maybe they're just good enough that they never have to change their game plan. Um, but depending on who they come up against, obviously, you know, the knockout stages could be rough, could be a rough go. Um that's when things are gonna gonna be interesting. So, um, yeah, I think I think I agree with you. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and obviously the, the test really in this group is going to be that France Norway game. Um, but moving on to to Group B again, we saw two matches from them. So Germany got a very close one zero win over China, while uh, Spain eventually took a three one win over South Africa. Now for both of these games. Man, these were some ugly games. Yeah, yeah. Like this, this was a grind it out, get what you can. I do want to point out um, for Spain that two of their goals were were penalty kicks, mm-hmm. um, and then South Africa actually on the second penalty kick, one of their players ended up getting a second yellow, and so it was sent off for a red card. So they had to play 
a a woman down. And South Africa actually took the lead in that game. They scored the first goal. Yeah, they held on for a whole half. Yeah, they did. And that was just, I mean, to be honest, it was great to see. I love, I think I've read you speak for a lot of people and they love an underdog story. And I think Spain, to me, it kind of harkens back to what Spain's men did last year, where they passed a lot, but that was about it for, for a long time. They were not really creating a whole lot in front of goal. Um, and I think it, it obviously once once they kind of got that equalizer and, and things started going their direction. But I think Spain just lacks someone who is super clinical in front of goal. You had Jenny Hermoso have, having a good match, but she's not really an out and out striker. She's she's more of a creator, a false nine or a ten, if you would. I think, and I think that they're that's going to catch up to them in later games. Right, and um, I think also you know Spain had another. They also have a couple players who played in for Barcelona all the way to the Champions League final, who they themselves are dealing with some minutes managing doing to some injury tweaks and a little bit of fatigue. So they might argue that, you know, they're not at full match fitness, but I totally agree. I think, I mean, my thought going into this tournament was that Spain was overestimated due to the success of Barcelona um, in the Champions League this year and due to, kind of this commonality with the Spain men's team that this idea that Spain should be able to turn this possession into, you know, beautiful free flowing soccer and then score goals. Um, the soccer was beautiful, but they weren't scoring goals. And, um, they also indicated that they have some real defensive issues because as we all saw, South Africa got a break. Um, South Africa is very, very fast and they, and Spain didn't really have a plan B at least for that first half. Um, which I, I think, you know, if you look at the way the the tournament works, I don't think it's going to hurt them in the group stage. I think they'll be fine. I think they'll probably get second. But this was a team that we had, you know, people knowledgeable about the game saying that they were ready to challenge Germany for top of the group. And I just still don't see that from them. Well, OK, but to take another spin on that is maybe Germany not as good as we thought though, like maybe yeah, Spain, also... Spain isn't great, but right. neither Germany nor China to me looked particularly great. And that was Germany really should have dealt with them a lot, a lot better. China came out extremely physical. Yeah. That um, game was kind of funny to me. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because the, the broadcast, they kept talking about how China was being told to be physical. And it was like, they just took that and ran with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was a friendly against France that China had earlier this year where they did the exact same thing where they, they go out, and they kick their opponents, and then while their opponents are upset about being kicked, they play soccer. <laughs> and that's a strategy that can work if you know that you're physically outmatched, and Germany really struggled to deal with it. Um, it took one really fantastic strike from Gwyn off of a set piece to get put them ahead. Um, Germany's another team that, because of the realities of coming off the European club season, uh, Marjan is a little bit, you know, um, beat up. I think Pop is as well. Uh, the German midfield was not very good in their opening match, and I can't tell if it's because of something other than lingering injury or if we're just looking at players that are kind of hurt. Yeah, it's interesting to me. I think that, I don't know, I've kind of wondered for a while if maybe that German win in the Olympics wasn't kind of a, a last gasp of a dying generation because I don't think that they've ever replaced either Celia Sausage or Anya Mittag in front of goal. I think Alex Pop is is great, but I don't think she has quite the same consistency. 
Um, and and I think Marijuan can be the best, flat out the best midfielder in the world on her best day. But I don't know that she's had a great tournament as as a senior. She had great youth tournaments, mm-hmm. and she had a really good Olympic final. But Euro seventeen, the rest of Olympic sixteen, I'm just I don't know that she's she's got to that point. I'm not sure. I have a bunch of theories on it, actually, but I don't want to get into that. I'm just, <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just not sure that that we're not just thinking Germany's going to be great because we're used to thinking that Germany's going to be great. Yeah, and and I I mean I went back and I watched some of Germany's games from earlier this this calendar year, um, that international break in February where they did actually play France and they beat France. They beat France one to nothing when all of those players were in midseason form and Germany looked very good. Um, I you know the question is. Are they kind of hitting on those cylinders right now? And like you said, um, with the pressure on a little bit more, uh, and they also have a new coach, brand new coach. They've only had her for four or five games now. Um, so it's a lot of probably just telling the players to go out there and play. And I think you're right. I think with with Marjan, I mean, as we recall in 2015, she started on the bench in that semifinal against Germany. Um, she's never, whether it's through her play or through just circumstances, she's never taken over a a full tournament for Germany. And the fact that she and Pop are the two players that are still really being relied on to do that now makes you wonder if the bottom might drop out at some point. Yeah. Now, I I will go back. They are still ranked number two in the world. Um, They've managed to maintain that ranking for a long time. They're a very good team. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just sometimes, you know, really good teams aren't ready to manage one particular tournament in the moment. Now, I think we're overreacting a little bit. I think they'll be fine. But um, because I think what China did worked. And I think also China is going to run over Spain. If Spain was disrupted by South Africa like that, if China goes out with the same game plan, I don't know how Spain deals with that. Interesting. That's yeah, because I kind of think this this group is a, after watching those two games is a little bit more open than I thought. And actually, yeah. I think that South Africa could, could do a number on someone, be that Germany or China yeah. with, if they can manage to stay together for that whole 90 minutes instead of just a half, they're, they're very organized and they're very compact defense, really, really frustrated Spain for a long time. They talk about having a game plan sticking to it. It was compact defense and counter and they executed it perfectly in that first half, it's just yeah. a matter of whether they can last for ninety minutes. To, I think they could. I think they could frustrate China. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't really think China's legit. I just think that um, when they're playing against a team that maybe has more technical skills than they do, they have a very specific game plan that I think might work. Um, obviously, the thing China didn't do against Germany was score, despite having a number of opportunities to. So um, that will also be an issue if they can't convert anything. Yeah, so interesting to see. So coming up, we will go on to groups C and D and talk about the the crazy games we saw today. Welcome back to episode 63 of the podcast, and we are picking up where we left off, moving on to Group C. So Brazil beat Jamaica 3-0, ending a a nearly year-long 
losing streak while Italy beat Australia 2-1 and and for those of us who who got up super early in the U.S. to watch it was well worth it in my opinion like so much probably the best game we've seen so far in my opinion what do you think Claire yeah it's the first game where the where the you know technical underdog actually pulled it off you know we saw moments from moments from China moments from South Africa um but yeah, this was the first where the where the team that was not expected to win pulled off the whole performance. Um, though, obviously, the issues with Australia were... We saw some of this coming. Um, I think none of us thought it would be so bad so quickly, though obviously they're friendly against the Dutch right before they, you know, went, in, went, to, went to France. was pretty ugly for them. Um, but... Yeah, that game was wild. It also kind of, it, it you know, it started off a day, too, where you saw, and we saw some of this the day before as well, but a number of defenses adjusting to international play, um, and Australia really struggled with that. Yeah, I, I think if if this weekend is, is anything like the rest of the tournament we're going to see, it's going to be very high-scoring yep. tournament, maybe not one for def- defenders to write home about. Yeah, I think. Um, right. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I, I think we saw this kind of coming. I think going into this match, I want to say they'd given up eight goals in their last two matches, uh, five to the U.S. and and three to. Uh, wow, I just blanked out. Who to did the, just... to the Dutch, the Netherlands? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, so many games. <laughs> it's we've been um, we've been awake for a very long time. <laughs> we've been awake way too long yeah. for a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. So, but they were playing. They're playing such a high line. I mean, you're talking about Pokinghorn and Kennedy are like at the the midway line, and then Catley and Carpenter are are way up the pitch. Yeah. And when you have two defenders who are not known for their pace. You're either asking Williams, who I think is generally pretty good off her line to cover a significant amount of space, or you're asking to get beat out. Right. And then they, they got beat out. Polkinghorn in particular was incredibly poor today, um, which I think, I, I don't know if it's just that she's just off right now. I don't know if she's tired. She's a player that plays year round. Um her her positioning was poor. She had that very bad giveaway to to spring Italy's first goal. Um, her paired with Kennedy, where both neither of their neither of them are very good at spacing. Neither of them are all that fast. And if you have a team where your two center starting defenders are easily attackable, that's what teams are going to do. Um, the other thing, too, is I think what we saw from Polkinghorne and Kennedy a little bit was you saw some of the NWSL-isms come out. Um, they were expecting offside calls to be, you know, what we saw today was offside. Uh, if a player is offside, they let you play um, to usually a goal and then call you off because they would rather have the goal get scored and then if the player was determined not offside, have the goal stand, then wave it off and, and kill the play. But I don't think Polkinghorne and Kennedy were prepared for that. Um, and I think that that in the second, not in the second goal, no, in, in one of the goals that got called off, you can just, you can tell where their heads are at. They're not alert. They're not moving quickly. Um, they're slow, but it looked like an issue of effort. Honestly, for me, I know that they don't have any depth, but you have to bench one of them. Yeah, but I mean, they just lost Laura Alloway, know, who has similar who, right? issues. Yeah. Anyway, she's not the fastest. She's not the best at right. positioning. Uh, you have Tegan Allen on the on the bench, who um, 
is very inexperienced. I just, I don't, honestly, I don't think they came prepared into this tournament. Yeah. Um, obviously, Alloway was a very, very last minute loss. But even then, I'm just, I'm at a loss as to, to what you would do. Kella Knight has deputized back there. She she didn't start this match because of an injury. Right. Um, and I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head, or at least part of the nail on the head for Australia is they all play, or very nearly all of them play year-round and have for years. And that's just, I think we've seen that start to catch up to them. They've had injury after injury, like minor stuff that shouldn't be lingering as long as it does. I mean, right. you've had, you know, Kaya Simon is their second highest scorer at a World Cup, miss this because she can get over injuries. Catley's had a number of injuries. I mean, they just, Legarzo. I, th- I think you could go on and on. I think that you can, like Kennedy, I think that part of her issues is that she's she's worn out because we've seen her play much better. Now, I will right. stick to my guns, and this is the heel I die on, that she is a much better defensive midfielder. <laughs> And well, in fact, Australia I, could use one of those too. So maybe move her up. <laughs> I was about to say. In fact, they're they're having the Emily Van Engen playing back there since Kella Knight is injured, and I don't like that at all. I think the close she needs to be more of a ten. Right. And so, but I just, I mean, maybe you you feel like, well, you know, it can't hurt and try it at least in the group stage where you still have some life left in you. Right. And figure out who maybe could if you move. Uh, if you move Kennedy up and move Eggman up, who, you know, maybe it is Tegan Allen. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, the other thing, one thing I wonder, too, is they aren't, you're right, they aren't prepared. I wonder if part of that is because of the, the last-minute coaching change, where I, you know, I the we, I don't have any, you know, insider info on, on exactly how all that went down, but, you know, when you have a coach that's been around for as long as Statich had been around he probably had a number of contingencies just sort of in his head. <laughs> and when you have a contentious firing like that, um, you lose all of that information. And I know there were a number of assistants that left too when he did. And I wonder if maybe this is a problem that could have been diverted um, if you had had a coach that had been working with the players for a little bit longer. Yeah, you know, I don't want to get too sidetracked on the, the coaching change because Lord knows nobody knows what's going on there. Nobody's right. talking about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you look at the rise of Australia, it started with really with Sermani bringing in all these players back in, in 2011, really. Very, very young. I mean, you're looking at players like Caitlin Ford. This is her third World Cup. That's insane. Yeah. Um, and bringing them on young. and But then Sajik was really the one who brought them up to this level and, and kind of these this level of, of being a, going from an upset to a contender. And yeah, I, I was never, I came out as, was never a fan of the coaching change. albeit I don't know the details, but you, yeah, you have to wonder if this is kind of, they wouldn't have done it with the timing if they weren't absolutely sure that's what the team needed. Right. But you, I think, I wonder if we're going to look back on this, you know, years down the road, when we get more information, when the dust is settled, and say that maybe that cost them the World Cup. I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, Polkinghorne and Kennedy were usually his central defenders too. So right, right. It's kind of an inherited problem, but yeah, I I, I don't know there. Um, and it have two other games. Like I said, Brazil uh, beat Jamaica three nothing. Brazil yes. has came into this tournament on a nine game losing streak. Did Marta did not play? She has been dealing with, I believe, a thigh injury. But Christiane got a hat trick. Yes. It's a very early hat trick in this World Cup. Um, yeah, I I did not predict this. I didn't know this was going to happen going in, but in a weird way, I'm not 
shocked that against a team like Jamaica, Brazil was able to figure out other ways to excel without Marta. Sometimes when you have a superstar that you're reliant on, actually taking her out of the system might shock you into playing a little bit differently and a little bit more like a team. Um, the hot take. I just, I, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I think they'll be better when she comes back, but I just mean if they were stuck in this rut, um, you know, as we all saw 2015, you know, with, with the yellow card suspensions for the U S sometimes you need to pull people out to reevaluate what's going on on the field. Um, Dabinia had a great game. Obviously, uh, Christiane had a great game. Uh, Jamaica definitely looked like they were playing their first World Cup game. They looked very young and inexperienced. Um, and I, I'm super interested to see how this group plays out. I have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I think I expected Brazil to win this game just because Jamaica is is very inexperienced, very young, very outmatched. I mean half their players are still in college you know you're talking right. about essentially a semi-pro team um now i think that's this is where i think we have to bring in the var uh, conversation yes. okay yeah it's, it's i am i don't mind var in general and i think that most of their calls have been correct but my god it makes it so much more clear how much that the handball rule needs to be adjusted it does well there are a number of things happening with the var i think i think one is that you can tell that this is the first time it's ever been used professionally for the women's game i think that you're seeing some very like just beginner issues with the refs i think they're relying on it too much you're only supposed to go to var if it's a very close call or if you think that it was an egregious mistake um, I think they're going to it too. They're they're going to it too quickly. Um, the defenders aren't ready for it, uh, and that's part of the issue too. Um, is this is also just again it's it's uh, growing pains. The defenders in the women's game aren't used for that kind of scrutiny on on the action in the box, which doesn't mean the calls aren't correct, but it does change the game. I think also, too, a concern that I have, and this is true in the men's game and in the women's game, is because of that draconian handball rule, you're going to have people start kicking it at people's hands. I mean, we saw this in the men's Champions League final just last week. Indeed. I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, and, and I think, and they're right to. If those are the rules and that's how it's being um, you know, followed through by the official, players are going to use that to their advantage. It makes it a lot harder to watch as a viewer and um, at some point, you have to wonder what the point of the game is. is. Is the point of the game to play it to the rule to the letter? I, I agree. I want the calls to be correct, and I think that VAR is is the right. The calls are correct more often than not, but it's enacting a rule that I don't think anybody likes, um, and that isn't fixable for the rest of the tournament. So we're just going to have to get used to it. But um, I think part of the issue is it's widened by the fact that this is the first time these officials are using it. It's the first time these players are ever having to deal with something like that. And, you know, like you said, like a team like Jamaica, they're a semi-pro team. This is not something that they're actually even equipped to prepare for. And so I think that's also why it starts to feel a little bit unfair. Yeah. Now, my one my one quote with VR is, is like I said, most of the time they've gotten the calls right. But we saw a potential handball call on Lisa Devanna. Yeah. On Lisa Devanna. 
and I think correctly was not called because right. her arm was not extended from her body was on unnatural position, etc. Next game, the same exact situation, and then gets called against Jamaica. Right. Now, Sydney Snyder did save that penalty kick because she's a kick-ass little goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, yeah, to me, if you're going to use it, it's, it needs to be consistent. I, but, yeah, I agree. I think the real issue here is, and it's this issue, these issues with the handball call have gone back longer than we've been alive. It's just that it's highlighted so much more because now we're seeing these replays from a thousand different angles slowed down. You can see exactly what happens. Right. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's I think it's unfair on the defenders. There's there's nothing you can do in those scenarios. Right, and and I do think I've seen there was some pushback um, in today the match the match day that we saw today, uh, match day day three, um, pushback for people like arguing about it. Um, and I think a I think it's good that VAR is being used in the women's World Cup, and I think it's good that we're arguing about it. That is actually equality because people hate it in the men's game too. So we should also have the opportunity to be on the forefront of that conversation. Um, I also think that um, oh gosh, I'm so I'm I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> We've been up so oh, long. Oh, the one other thing, the one other thing, and and this is probably something that has been said about men's soccer a number of times which is that VAR makes the game more correct, but it makes it harder to watch. And part of that, too, is the stoppage of play and the fact that a lot of goals, you know, the fun thing about soccer is someone scores a goal and they go to a celebration and it's this big wave of emotion and it's awesome. And I think when you're seeing so many of the goals waved off um, and then you're seeing or you're seeing things get reviewed and then turned into penalties and then the penalties are goals, it, it takes some of the magic out of it even though it's technically more correct. And that's a soccer problem. That's not a women's soccer problem. Well, I would go so far as to say it's it's beyond a soccer problem. They have the same issue in, in other sports yeah, as well. Right. They have this instant replay and then think there's always is, has been a debate, always will be a debate. I, do, I will say that it seems a bit unfair for the women to have it debut in the World Cup. I mean, right. there's no time for these players to get used to it, uh, be that in, in international friendlies or qualifying or what what have you. It's just kind of thrown off the deep end, but hey, that's women for you. Yep. <laughs> um, and in the final match today, uh, Scotland made their World Cup debut and their first ever World Cup goal, but ultimately fell to England 2-1. And again, VAR played a little bit of a role in that. But I, I liked this game. I thought Scotland played very well for large, large chunks of it. I think they actually were the better team to start out until that VAR uh, yeah. penalty kick. And then England just just ran rampant. I think we have not seen. I think we saw a lot of good from England. I think that their right side with Lucy Bronze and, and Nikita Paris were just tearing, um, tearing Scotland up there for a while. So I don't think we've seen the best of them. But a lot of good. They look very poised to make a deep run in this tournament. Um, but in the second half, I think Scotland again took took over control and maybe exposed some issues. And now you have Millie Bright. They're seeing starter back. They're starting. Center back? Wow. <laughs> we really have been up. Yeah. They're starting center back. Go out with, I think, probably possible concussion concern. Right. Um, so that's... Now, I happen to like Abby McManus a whole lot. So I'm not too too sad about... I mean, I'm, I'm obviously sad about Bright. But, you know, if that's a change, I don't think it's going to hurt them too much. But I, I, I don't know. I really like this game. I think Australia-Italy was obviously just the more exciting game. But this was... This is a little bit of a chess match sometimes. Yeah, I liked this game a lot, actually. Um, the the penalty definitely swung the momentum, which is, I think, why it was such a cause for discussion. But I thought England played very well in the first half. And 
what we saw from England today, and we'll, it'll be interesting to see if this continues, is they played everyone in their natural position. You know, they put Lucy Bronze back in the back line, um, which I don't think they, I don't think England had done yet in 2019, played with the, that back four. Um, and I think that that worked. I think that they have a really good starting 11, and I think it's going to be hard to um, stop them. And Scotland struggled. Uh, but you're right. I think in the second half, Kim Little played really well. I think that was part of it. She kind of took over the game. Um, and I think England kind of switched off. And I think that is a thing that England can do. Whether it's England starting slow, I still think they're very slow starters. And if um, a better team can jump on that, that changes the game. I also think England is prone to switching off sometimes. Uh, but I think that the game actually kind of played out exactly to the strengths of each team. I think 2-1 was a very fair result. I think England looks like they can make a deep run, especially because they'll be on that non-France, non-U.S. side of the bracket. And I think that Scotland is... Scotland, Japan, Scotland, Argentina, those are interesting to me. It'll be really interesting to see how they regroup and, and go forward because I think that they can get stuck in, you know, they might do mm -hmm. well. Well, I think the thing that the Scotland struggled the most with England was how quickly they could play. Mm -hmm. um, and it's funny because in, in certain portions of the first half, you could see England very deliberately slowing down. I don't think that suits them at all. I think the faster they play, the, the better they are. Um, and so uh, I think Scotland, Japan and Argentina don't typically play like that. So I think Scotland with their organization um, and they have some speed of their own. I mean, for Orlando Pride fans out there, Claire Amsley was the scorer of that yeah. goal, and she was just flying down. Well, yeah, well deserved. Yeah, their right flank against um, against England's uh, left side. So yeah, interesting, interesting, uh, interesting matches. What uh, we've watched so much soccer. We've watched so much, and there's so much left. Yeah, so much left. So yeah. But that's it for the World Cup so far. Um, coming up, we will get to your questions. We're back. Episode 63 of the Equalizer podcast. And it's time for our sports reference stat of the week brought to you by FBref.com. They are providing World Cup stats and have a newsletter. So please go check them out. As we discussed earlier, Brazil won 3-0 over Jamaica. With that shutout, they have now played 10 consecutive World Cup group stage matches without conceding a goal. That's every single group save match they've played in the 2007, 2011, and 2015 tournaments, and 2019 to this point. The last time they conceded a goal in a group stage match was to France in stoppage time in 2003. I was in high school. That's a very long time, especially for a team that I don't typically think is a, known for their defense. Anyway, moving on to our questions. Please remember to always use hashtag EQZPOD, EQZPOD, so we can find all your questions. I am that Sam I am says, can you run through the likely teams U.S.? I think will face in rounds of 16 and eight is France the most worrisome team for us or did France just play a team far smaller and less talented than it? We already discussed France. Um, I think that potential France us matchup in quarterfinals is really the big one to keep an eye on. 
Any other thoughts? Uh, if the U.S. wins the group, which I think that they will, um, they'll be playing the second-place team uh, in Germany, Spain, China, um, and South Africa, which will probably be Spain. Uh, maybe, you know, who knows? Um, and then, yeah, likely France in the quarterfinals. Uh, I, yeah, I think right now you've got on that side of the bracket, a couple of teams who are really going to go all the way and France and the U S are the top two. So the fact that they're playing each other so early, likely to play each other so early in the tournament is, um, has to be a concern for, for both teams. All right. Caroline Slade says any news on Bunny Shaw's plans to play professionally and Claire, I know you know the answer to this. Yeah, she just signed. She just signed a contract um, this week, which is funny. She waited until she was in France to sign it. She's going to go play for Bordeaux in League One, which I think is great. It's not too big of a club. Um, You know, she can get her feet wet professionally, um, get used to that system, and maybe, you know, use that to position it into a higher profile thing in the future. Or, you know, maybe that'll be a great fit for her. Um, But, yeah, that just happened this week, which is great. I, um, I like... I kind of like that she got it taken care of before the game started. I know, you know, sometimes people think that it's better just to wait for the, the world cup debut to raise your stock. But I think if you get a good offer, you should take it. And I think that that's awesome. All right. Well, congratulations to her. Jay Lorch fans says, I'm sure you'll discuss this. How do you feel about the VAR? Did all those handballs that were called really impact the game? Uh, As she's correct. We did actually already discuss that. (laughs) Tom uh, Stidman says, how much danger is Australia of not making the knockout rounds after losing to Italy? Is the Brazil game a must-win for them to make the knockout rounds? Um, I mean, even if they happen to lose to Brazil, I, they'd still, I would say, take third place. So is it a must-must-win, you know, go, die or go, win or go home? No, but they sure need a win now. They, they put themselves up to, to really need that, whereas that, that maybe could have been the game where they could have dropped points and still been okay. Right. It's a little bit hard to tell because I think we still don't know exactly how good Brazil is. Um, I think they could get away with a draw against Brazil and be fine. Uh, you're right. All the first and second place teams go through. A number of the third place teams also go through. I The more worrying thing for Australia is not so much can they mathematically make it out of the group now, but it is are the issues that they have, will it matter? You know, will they just get bounced in the round of 16? Yeah. Andy Lyons says, what rule changes have been made ahead of this Women's World Cup, e.g. handball for first Spain penalty? Have rules and incidental contact, especially on follow-through and kicking the ball, been changed, e.g. sink it penalty for Spain? Why so many late offside flags, e.g. Italy versus Australia? Um, We have already discussed this. The handball rule has not changed. As far as I know, the rules of incidental contact have not changed. There was, I, this is where I really should have looked this up. The handball rule, the FIFA rule for handball did change last year um, for both men's and women's side. And I just think that it um, was just a little bit more, it, it made what a handball was a little bit wider and gave the refs a little bit less leeway to decide what intentional contact was. So... Um, yeah, but that was before even the men's World Cup, oh, yeah. right? Right, right, right. Yes, right, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, so yeah. I didn't wasn't thinking it wasn't necessarily ahead of this one's World Cup yes. unless you're just counting back to the last one. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um and Claire already explain, explained about the late offside flags. That is a deliberate move on their part. And last one, Dylan Cranes is what under the radar player has stood out the most in the first games? I considering she's coming to NWSL, I, I liked a lot of what Claire Emsley did. I like 
Sydney Schneider for Jamaica, although I've I got to see her up close and personal at CONCACAF qualifying, was very impressed with her there. I think she she flew a little bit more under the radar there because we were all very high on Yenneth Bailey, but I think she was equally as good, and I hope she, she gets a little bit more attention. And she she plays her, her college ball at UNC Wilmington, which is not even the UNC that you think of when you think of women's soccer. Um, hmm, what do you think, Claire? Um, I mean, for me, she's not she's not really under the radar, but she might be to the American audience, which is I thought Delphine Cascarino was incredible for France in there. Oh, my match. gosh. Um, Drew worthy. Yeah, she's one of those players that, you know, I I knew was good. But I, you know, watching her in that specific role um, on that night, you know, you're just kind of blown away by by how good she was. Um, let me see. If there's anybody else. Uh, Gwen for Germany. Gwen for um, Germany, She's done for sure, really, yeah. really well at the youth tournaments, but if you haven't watched those, she would completely be an unknown on the senior stage. And I and I guess, you know, the one other one is um, Katlana for South Africa. I mean, obviously, we at the NWSL have seen uh, what she can do, but she's obviously not, you know, a star of the world stage, and um, she had a wonderful goal in that match. Yeah, shame she didn't get that second one. Yeah. That could have changed things for them. That would have been nuts. Um, yeah, I think that's probably Italy's team, uh, to be <laughs> yeah, honest, their right. whole team. Yeah. Um, Barbara Bonsai, I, I knew she could do well um, from from the Euros, but the rest of the team, I really had no idea what to expect from Italy, and that was a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is it for quite quite a heck of a podcast. A lot we, going on. A lot of soccer. Yeah. A lot of soccer. We'll continue to be a lot of soccer, so we will be sending you podcasts from France. We'll continue our our sort of weekly wrap-up here at home. So thank you all for listening to Claire and myself for episode 63 of the Equalizer Podcast. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.